This is Nicole Deffenbaugh. If you are enjoying the podcast, we invite you to tell your friends and family and like us on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast. I was born in Cuba um, many years ago. <laughs> um, I came to the U.S. at age 13. Before then, so Cuba is a communist country ruled by Fidel Castro for many, many years. And it was hard, even though healthcare is free, it was hard to obtain medications and have anything available at the pharmacies. So when I was growing up, I was a very sick child all the time. Um, I was taken to the doctor and I was told I had some kind of immunodeficiency, which I'm still trying to understand today, even as I know medicine, what it was. Um, but I remember that they had prescribed some injections that I needed to get, um, every month, I guess, to boost my immune system and it, it was nowhere to be found. So like my dad had to pretty much go over the entire island of Cuba looking for these injections to see if I could get it. Um, and he finally was able to find it somewhere. I don't even remember when because I was so young to be able to get the shots. So it was very eye-opening that in a country with amazing doctors and free healthcare that you couldn't find the medications that a patient needs um, to be able to do better in the future. Um, so that story stayed with me until today when I think about healthcare. Welcome to Health Stories, interviews inside the healthcare system. In this podcast, we invite you, the listener, to hear the stories of patients and caregivers, clinicians, and others who navigate our complex U.S. healthcare system. And they are here to offer you tips and insights for how you might function within the system as well. Today, I am excited to be joined by Dr. Marlene Gonzalez, who is going to talk about being uh, from Cuba and also her experiences treating individuals from other countries. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. So you had a deficiency when you were a kid mm -hmm. and your dad went all around the island to find what it is that you needed. Okay. Correct. Um, and then... So you came to the United States. At what age were you when you came? 13. Okay. Did you still have to get these injections when you moved to the States? No. Okay. So that's the whole story I don't know about. So after I got the shots, like, my immune system recovered, um, and I've been healthy So <laughs> since then. So um, I didn't have to seek, seek health care here in regards to that. I'm not sure what kind of deficiency it was. Um my father still cannot explain to me what it was, but unfortunately my mother passed away of breast cancer, so I cannot ask her, but I'm sure she probably didn't know, so I don't know if it was the way it was explained in the healthcare in Cuba to my parents or what it was. I mean, I was very young, so I have very remote history of it, of going to the doctor, um, but it was very... Even though there were fish and very scarce, like there's not a lot of supplies and things you need pretty much in Cuba. Have you gone back to Cuba since you left um, all those years ago? I've been back five times, but the last time was back in 2010, so it's been a while. Mm -hmm. Did you have to um, 
were you a patient when you went back to visit mm -hmm. or have you ever talked to anybody about their current system, healthcare system in Cuba? I mean, I know the current health system, but I haven't had to have myself go to the doctor. Um, I know you go see a doctor, they give you whatever it is they have available. I mean, they don't have like what we have here in this country, which is like a million different drugs is whatever the one drug is for the one disease. That's what they have. I mean, the doctors and education are, they're brilliant, but they don't have all the resources they have to treat patients like we do here in the United States, which is the conflicting thing I have because <laughs> here you have all the resources, but even the doctors don't have the freedom to just give the patient the best medicine that they might need due to insurance. Um, which is like the number one, I think, difficult barrier between treating the patient and a doctor relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's. So I'm. I want to make sure our listeners know a little bit about who you are. So mm -hmm. we, you told a little bit about how you uh, were born in Cuba and came to the U.S. Um, and now you're talking a little, little bit about the healthcare system, and that's because um, you treat patients. So can you give us a a, a brief timeline of where you've been in the U.S. and where you went mm -hmm. to medical school, and, and so yeah, after being that? born, after being born in Cuba, I grew up there for 13 years of my life. Then I was able to leave because my dad was a political re refugee, because he was against the government. Um, he was given the opportunity to leave Cuba with his family, so we left. Um, we actually moved to San Francisco, California, because he had some. Um, of his relatives living there, and that's the only reason we ended up there. Um, I actually went to high school in San Francisco, and I did my bachelor's in biology. I went to college in San Francisco. Um, and then after that, I decided to move to Miami, Florida. Um, I did a master's in biomedical sciences before I went to medical school. Then applied to medical school. I ended up going to medical school in Dominica, Ross University, <laughs> in an island where you do... Um, two years there, um, and that's not the Dominican Republic, but it's like near um, Aruba and what's the other one, Martinique, mm -hmm. and all the other little islands. Um, that's way down there. And then completed the last two years of medical school in Miami. And then after that, I applied to residency, and I moved to Pennsylvania, Allentown. And that's where I did my training in family medicine for three years. And I'm currently stayed in the area. I'm practicing now in Pennsylvania, in Allentown. Excellent. And can you tell us a little bit about the population that you treat or have? So uh, in medical school, going through the training or during residency? Um, how about a little bit of both? Okay. <laughs> so third and fourth year of medical school was mainly in Miami, Florida. So a lot of Spanish speaking, a lot of, I would say, Cubans and Central America and South America. Um, so a lot of cultural diversity, a lot of related to my own culture. And I kind of understood what they were talking about more because of I grew up the same way. So like the things and home remedies they would do, like I understood but I did learn a lot about other cultures and things they do at home that I had no idea, um, which is kind of similar to when I moved here in Pennsylvania, when I encounter a lot of Puerto Ricans and Dominicans, and um, they have a lot of home remedies and cultural things that I've never 
heard in my life. Um, but I learned a lot about that, and it's, it was interesting to know. I also worked a lot with the refugee population, um, since Allentown is one of the designated um, cities for um, a lot of the refugees that come from Syria and all those um, that side of the world, I would say. Um, so that was a very eye-opening experience because um, it was way harder for me not I mean, I usually was very good with like, okay, I speak Spanish, I can understand what they're saying, but a lot of the refugee population, they speak a lot of languages and dialects that I had no idea, never heard of. Um, even to get an interpreter, things got lost in translation between me asking questions to the patients and explaining. I felt like I never got across between them and the interpreter, um, but I was able to... Um, somehow communicate with them in in a different way but i feel i still feel like the barrier is huge especially for them when they come here um even to just find a street name to get to the doctor's office not being able to read or write in, in english and not being able to translate anything so it was very difficult um treating the population um because they they pretty much needed like a like a I would say like a newborn child. You have to go like very basic and step by step, like talking to them and writing things down. And even so, like things don't happen. Like you know, if they needed to see a specialist, like you probably needed to make the appointment for them, where to go, how to get there, like the bus and all this stuff. Like they had no idea even how to navigate um, here in Allentown. So very eye opening. Yeah. So. Um- so for the listeners, it, it you treat a very diverse population. You it sounds like you did in medical school, um, especially um, with in, you said individuals who either were Cuban or um, Dominican. You said Central American, mm-hmm. um, and then when you moved to Pennsylvania, it sounds like you continue to work with a, a very diverse population, mm-hmm. um, both ethnically and um, culturally, and also linguistically. I'm curious what it was like for you. So you are treating individuals who have moved to the U.S. Um, and have uh, challenges trying to, um, and I don't want to say acclimate because I don't, you know, those those are interesting terms to use. There's sort of a, an assumption that when you move to the U.S., you must change your ways mm-hmm. and your cultures and give up your identity in order to, quote, unquote, be an American. Um and uh, so I don't want to use that terminology, but I do want to know what it was like for you um, moving to the U.S. What are some What are some memories you have about trying to? So I mean, I would say I was thirteen and young, which is like a a big thing when I think about my patients that come when they're older, and there's more of a fear and not as much. I would say, let's go do what you need to do. Um, there's a lot of reservation, but um, I remember when I was 13, moving to San Francisco. So there are a lot of Spanish-speaking pe- people in San Francisco, not Cubans necessarily, a lot of Central Americans, um, but there are a lot of other cultures like Filipinos and the Asians. And um, I went to a high school that was very diverse. Um, they did have like all different cultures but I do remember not knowing any word of English um, at all so I did not know anything before I moved to the United States from Cuba 
And so back in the day, I think they still had the ESL classes that you were able to kind of have a bilingual education, but then it was removed at some point. So I will remember sitting in classes and not knowing or having any idea about what was being said because it was all in English. And it was, I mean, it was eye-open that I was like, I don't even know what they're saying. I don't know how I'm going to learn. Like, I have to figure it out. I mean, my parents, none of them knew English either, neither did my brothers. So I kind of had to take it upon myself to figure out well, I need to learn to communicate because I don't want people to be saying things behind my back. I need to know what's going on. Um, so, like, I started listening to even the radio, which the <laughs> the cultural music or popular music is not even, like, official English. It's, like, very slang. <laughs> um, and I would, like, laugh. And I was like, I don't know what this is. So I would, like, look something up or try to use a word every week to kind of, like, make myself learn Um I would watch some shows without subtitles and then I would use the subtitles to kind of see what they were saying and it kind of getting, you know, started getting stuck in my head um, and obviously, you know, studying and in school, trying to pick up things one step at a time. But it was very hard. I remember high school. I did have a lot of friends that spoke Spanish, different Spanish dialect because a lot of like the Mexicans and Salvadorians, we definitely have different words that don't match compared to the Cubans. Um, so that was also another learning um, experience, the different words in Spanish. Um, but I think the main thing is pushing yourself to learn, and that's the difficult part. Because um, when you're a kid, you go to school, you're 13, you pretty much have time to learn because you're sitting in classes and you're studying as an adult, I see that as a challenge when you have to go out there and make money and work because otherwise you won't be able to live in this country. Um, you do get some help, which is not permanent, um, but I see that as a big thing when you've been like, you know, in a language for 40 something years or more, and then you're like, oh my God, I have to go back to school and how am I going to figure it out? So I can see the fear and barriers um, as an adult. Um, but yeah, it was even like, even to this day, I remember my first public speaking class in college and I was like terrified. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, I have this thick accent. Nobody's going to know what I'm saying, but I just have to do it. And I remember turning red as a tomato in front of everybody, but I still did it. And so reading science books, that was also very hard. I had to read it like 20 times to be able to understand like one or two pages. So it was a lot of repetition. And to this day, I'm still learning, <laughs> obviously. English is not my first language. I learn new words every day. Every different state has different things that they use or different lingos and languages that they use and words that I've never heard of. But you take it upon yourself to kind of learn and figure it out. And you had mentioned that something you said that really stood out is you did you wanted to know if people were like talking behind your back mm -hmm. and what they were saying. Um, it sounds like, you know, learning English was to survive too, mm -hmm. right? Um, so you said that you didn't know English before you came to the U.S. Mm -hmm. and your father didn't either. So did was anyone speaking English in your house after you started learning it? Mm-mm. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. So it's still at home. It was all Spanish. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It was just mainly at school. I would be trying to speak English, which was also challenging because you did have a lot of... Um, the Asians that came from Asia, because I went to a school in the middle of, I would say, the low-income community. 
So there was a lot of different cultures that didn't know English either. So it was like a clash of, <laughs> it was a clash of different like accents and people knowing different things. But yeah. And I wonder too, so I guess my question is, do you think that in some way also um, was beneficial that you were in uh, a classroom with people speaking different mm -hmm. languages and for many this English was their first language and so you're sort of all in it together in some respect. Yeah. I mean, I... Or yeah. also not because, yeah. right, you had different cultural backgrounds right. too, right? <laughs> so it was like a more confusing and, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I try to think about it and I think, obviously everyone's different, but like motivation and just knowing that you have to know this to be able to move on and learn the system and figure it out on your own was definitely a big factor because even through learn how to apply to college or medical school and everything, like I had to rely on myself because my family had no idea. My parents couldn't give me guidance, mm -hmm. no money or nothing for college. So I pretty much have to like talk to people in school, look for like teachers that were very good motivators, like, you know, the principals to tell me what do I need to do. Um, to be able to, you know, get a, a good education, go to college, do what I want to do. So it was a lot of like learning on my own, kind of pushing yourself to do what you want to do. So you're, <laughs> I've known you for a few years mm -hmm. and that it's truly inspirational, mm -hmm. like what you did. I mean, you, you wasn't being spoken at home. You figured out the language. Mm -hmm. You did this to survive. There was no money to go to school. You talked to the people you needed to talk to in order to get into school. And then you majored in biomedics, uh, right? Biomedicine, bio. I, well, biology first, biology then biomedical first, and then, sciences. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And then you went to medical, medical school, school that was all in English, right? Mm-hmm. What was that like? I'm, I'm sitting here still in awe that at 13 you learned English, a whole new language, and then a matter of how old were you when you went? 22? You went to medical school. 24, 23 or 24, yeah. yeah. okay. Yeah. So a mere eight, nine years later, 10 years, yeah. let's call it 10 years later, you're in medical school. Mm -hmm. So what was that like? Because you hadn't, I mean, you're still, you learned the language less than a decade ago, so. Yeah, going to medical school is obvious. It's like completely different. I feel like going to college. I still hate English to this day and writing essays. It was never my favorite thing. Um, it was very hard and challenging. And I think, I mean, English is a very difficult language for people that don't know it, even though they always say Spanish is harder, but I think there's well, like a yeah. flow. Even um, for those of us who learn English as the first right. language, we still, I still struggle <laughs> with it. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. English is still not my favorite, and writing essays is not my favorite, and reading all these books that I had no idea what they were talking about, like Hamlet and all these mm -hmm. <laughs> things that I'm like, I definitely don't understand any of this. But um, going to medical school was different because it was not just English. It was science, which is another language um, on its own. Um, so definitely even when you speak to people that don't go to medical school or they don't know a lot of the words that I had to learn so I pretty much have to learn another language which is the medical jargon yeah. <laughs> um, and even to this day I, I make it a point when I talk to patients not to use medical jargon because it's hard to understand um, so I pretty much say it in plain either Spanish or plain English or whatever language they speak I try to say it as simple as possible so they can understand because 
I can relate when you don't understand something. <laughs> um, so medical school was definitely another challenge. Um, learning how to study, how to learn another language, but just pushing yourself to, you know, you got to do it and this is what you're going to do. So you just <laughs> keep doing it, I guess. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I want to transition now and uh, ask about what it's like for you to be treating individuals, caring for individuals as, as, a, um, as a physician who also are f- from another country or English is not their first language. Um, what's so the open-ended question, what that's like for you? So... I feel not just for me, but for the patient, it's very satisfying when they know I speak Spanish. Let's say, even if it's not a Cuban, but any patient that speaks Spanish, they're like, oh my gosh, finally I have a doctor that I can speak to in my own language and they can understand me because I feel like I have to repeat myself or they don't listen to me when I go to other doctors. So, I mean, for me, it's comforting that they can ask me all the questions they need and I can answer them in their own language. But at the same time, there's a lot of pressure because they're relying on me kind of to <laughs> tell them everything that's going on. Um, so, for example, when I see patients, a lot of the time they come to see me like a week or so after I've already seen them and that they're regular. Let's say if they had diabetes or high blood pressure follow up, they come to see me. And I was like, I wonder why they're here because I know I said let's follow up in three months and they will come and see me. And they just wanted me to like explain to them um, everything that the specialist had said in their office. Oh, they went and saw another right. Physician. So they went to see oh. another physician for whatever reason. If they had like heart problems, they went to see a cardiologist. And um, I'm pretty sure an interpreter was used, especially in our system. I hope it does because it's, you're supposed to use an interpreter. Um, but they come back to me because they had no clue what was said. Um, and they wanted me to explain to them wow. exactly what the treatment or, or everything. So is, I mean, as a family doctor, obviously, you know, it's overwhelming cause you're, you have a lot of patients to see and, um, there's not a lot of family doctors, but then it's good that they come and trust you that to give them the information. But at the same time, it's like, oh my gosh. So they're seeing all these doctors, you refer them to all this you know, different specialties and they have no idea what they're agreeing or what they're taking. And I ask them for their medications, even the ones sometimes that I give, they have no idea what they're taking. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I make it a point to read it in Spanish for them and all that, but there's like a big, big, big gap. Um, even when you talk to them in Spanish, um, I think, yeah, the way their culture is is like they're very stuck in their own way sometimes so you have to repeat over and over like why was the reason you're giving this medication or why you're doing something so it becomes very challenging and time consuming i think that's the main thing which is something that we don't have in healthcare mm-hmm. when you're given so many patients to see a day because obviously <laughs> that's like another topic is you know, reimbursement and insurance companies and all this other stuff that we're not going to get into. But you pretty much don't have a lot of time, maybe 20 minutes to see a new patient, which is uh, very hard to do and get to know a patient and be able to do everything you want to do and be a great doctor at it. Um, so that's like, especially when a patient has 
I would say 10 problems and they're chronic mm. problems and you have and they have a lot of medications it is impossible to do everything in 20 minutes and I feel that's where there is a gap in the system in this country mm. um, there's so much to, mm-hmm. to sort of talk through that you just said I want to go back to um, the, the issue of trust you know that you have a patient who comes in who has a litany of issues to discuss and it could very well be because they haven't found anyone they trust. Mm-hmm. And, and you had said that they come because you speak the same language. And so there's a level of familiarity and there's a level of trust that they're building with you, um, which makes you such a valuable resource within the system of medicine, you know. And why when I, I, I get, so this is my own personal moment for the listeners. <laughs> I get so frustrated when I hear somebody who English is their first language, who's treated by a doctor, who English is not their first language. And I hear individuals say, wow, it was so hard to understand them. And I think, yeah. Um, And think about how challenging it was for them to Mm -hmm. understand you or someone else who English is their first language and how important that person is to all the individuals Mm -hmm. in their community or similar or uh, cultural background or ethnic or linguistic background for that person to be there mm-hmm. in the community. And so at the same time, I, I, we haven't gotten to the point yet where we value and recognize individuals who have a background similar to yours, where you came from a different country, you spoke a different mm-hmm. language, you made it through the system, you succeeded. Now you're training individuals mm-hmm. and, and they're coming to you to explain the system that they just don't understand. Um, and I'm also hearing you say how overwhelming that is too, mm-hmm. right? So um, I can imagine someone's coming to you because they went and saw a cardiologist and you're trying to translate. Now mm-hmm. you're like translating what the cardiologist said and right. you may or may not know what the cardiologist <laughs> exactly. actually said, right? yep. mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh my gosh. And so the other thing I want to point out for people listening is they may not recognize how much pressure is put on to mm-hmm. you to be sort of... The first word that came to my mind was savior. I don't want to say that because that's not the right. But to be that person who does everything. Right. To be that person that explains everything, is their doctor in every way. And and you can't be that person either. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, so you're trying to be everything to a community that desperately needs you to be there. um, And that can put a lot of extra pressure on too and extra time. Correct. I agree. And it's just like, I think the hardest part is... When you come from another country and you need to pretty much learn a new life. And I've, I mean, I've know I've heard this from a lot of places. Well, you're in America. You need to know English, which I do understand that you do need to know English to survive. I mean, you have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to understand what's going on to get a job, to do anything, fill out forms, even though you can get a lot of things in Spanish, but that's just, you know, Spanish. There's like so many other different cultures that you might not be able to get what you need like for example the refugee population um and so i think the most eye-opening thing is like it is harder for people the older they get to to learn and to do things independently and to be able to figure things out and they have less time i would say and more pressure because of life every day we have pressure as adults and as successful as we are we are under a lot of stress in this country you gotta work you gotta do this and your family and rent um so it's the same for them um even though (laughs) you know they're sick and they need all these medications they still need to figure out where the money's gonna come from how are they gonna afford 
Insurance companies don't cover medications. Um, if you have COPD and you need that inhaler that costs $800 and insurance not covering it, you have to figure out how to get the $200 one because they're still expensive, how to get that insulin. So there's a lot of things that you you know people don't understand, especially in healthcare. Um, that it might seem very simple, but it's not. Even how to inject insulin. Mm. Um, takes a lot of time and education to show a patient how to do it, which you might not have the time to do. It reminds me of a study I did once with a physician uh, on trying to understand individuals who had identified or were identified, I should say, as refugees and understanding how they navigate through the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And I remember how just surprised I was that there, we used photo voice as a methodology and how the individuals that we had interviewed uh, and worked with for this study were defining basic concepts of health. They were talking about how challenging it is to live in a building with very few windows when they used to live in huts outside with open windows and Mm -hmm. they forage for their food and, you know, how they have to try to figure out, like you said, the street name where they Mm -hmm. need to go and how do they get their prescription Mm -hmm. at a pharmacy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, we take so much, I think, for granted about, you know, navigating the system. And uh, for those of us who have lived in the system our whole lives, we have challenges. Imagine mm-hmm. coming from another country where healthcare is free or everywhere or very different. Um, recognizing the time, uh, I would love for you to offer some words of wisdom and advice and tips for other clinicians who are treating individuals who may not speak English as their first language or who are from other countries. Um, what advice do you have for them? I think patience. <laughs> Um, and trying to understand what it would be like if it was your family member. So I always think about as we get older, we become more dependent on other people. If, you know, things are taken away, you lose your vision, you cannot drive, you depend on other people to do things for you. Um, so I think it's the same concept. Um, they need more time to learn things over time and kind of like education and repetition over and over and teach them how to take over their health slowly but surely (laughs) um i think is key even though it's definitely overwhelming and we don't have a lot of time and time 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 is like the main word in medicine we don't have time for everything which is true um bring them more often to your office to be seen to make sure you know like if i have a patient with 20 problems and i say we cannot address 20 problems today but we'll do the top three most important but i'll see you in four weeks or two weeks and we'll talk about the next three um, even though you might see them more frequently, and that's okay. Um, I think that is the best advice. Just make sure you ask them if they have any questions. They might look at you and say, yes, they do that to me. Or say, no, I understand everything and go home and not know anything. Um, but the next time, just ask them again. Um, I think that's the main thing is patience and trying to understand in this busy medical world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anything about... Um because you've used translators now mm-hmm. yourself. So you had all mm-hmm. the patients that spoke Spanish and was like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I get to speak Spanish with you. And then you worked with the refugee population and then you mm-hmm. were using translators. What was that like and what advice do you have? So in translators, um, not all of them are good. Um, I have Even when I have sat inside just to observe Spanish encounters, um, Definitely everything that you're saying is not translated the same way. So I did learn 
that was other refugees and I'm like, I feel like I'm getting the same answer, but I'm asking different questions. So it's very difficult and I, I can understand where the frustrations come from and the time because you definitely need more time when you have a patient that speaks another language. So I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> well, and yeah. I was thinking about for those listening, um, you don't get yeah. reimbursed for spending Mm-mm. more time with a patient, right? No. And so, right. And so I don't know that people know that. And yeah. so if you spend an hour working with someone who mm-hmm. needs a translator, you get reimbursed the same as the 15-minute acute visit for the kid who has a sore throat. And so that can probably be frustrating mm-hmm. if you're trying to reach your RVUs for, mm-hmm. you know, that quarter or whatever. Right. Right. So. Yeah. I, yeah. But, it's definitely challenging. I mean, I think for physicians and for patients is they both have to be patient because they, especially when you speak another language, they both have to know that the interpreters not, might not be interpreting what they're saying and we're not getting the right message. So I think. Mm-hmm both sides get frustrated when we don't like if we don't give the patient what they need from like a physician side they might be disappointed but we're maybe we're not getting the information that we need from the interpreter to us Mm -hmm. so there's that that gap that we have no idea what's happening um um, from the patient side from the physician side um because even in spanish when it's a different culture different country like and i don't understand what they're saying like i ask them I'm like, you need to tell me in other words what it is that you're saying because obviously I don't understand. Um, so I can, I mean, it's, it's definitely very difficult. And that's a good point just because mm-hmm. you speak the same language and exactly. you understand each other. <laughs> no. That. that was good. Yeah. Um, so the last question I want to ask is what advice do you have for individuals listening? Um, and my request would be that you offer that some of that advice in Spanish. So I didn't know if you'd be mm. open to doing that. Um, so for individuals who are listening who are um, speak Spanish, um, do you have a couple of words of advice? And then maybe just tell us what the heading is for those who don't speak Spanish. So you want me to say it in English first? It's, a, it's totally up to you. <laughs> so let's see. I feel like today um, there's not a lot of, and I'm going to say the word patience because there's a lot of frustration and not understanding. Thinking today's world has changed a lot from like maybe when I was growing up. Um, people were more understanding and patience. And I think today there's a lot of frustrations from everywhere you come. So you kind of get attacked um, in different ways. And I feel like even today people don't trust and for whatever reason it is there's a lot of mistrust and um the relationship is harder to build between a patient and a doctor um so i feel like the one advice i would give is people to people is to kind of go back to see how you can understand each other or what the doctor's going through and what the patient's going through. Like everybody's different. Everybody has their story. Just because you look happy doesn't mean you're happy. Um, so everybody has their things that they have gone through. So try to put each other on their own shoes mm-hmm. and see what that is like. So, in español. Para todos los que me están escuchando en español, que quisieran venir a este país o que viven en este país, quisiera que te, tuvieran más paciencia y entender más a su doctor o su doctora, um, se comunique más frecuente en vez de um, 
¿cómo se dice? Tener, no sé cómo decir la palabra ahora en este momento. Like, asumir, asumir cosas que no están ahí, sino es mejor tener la comunicación abierta y siempre hacer las preguntas o volver a repetir en vez de decir o no entender de persona a persona lo que está pasando. Um, yo creo que eso es lo principal. So, un poco de paciencia, consideración y entendimiento entre uno con el otro. And uh, although I will admit I don't know everything that you said, <laughs> um, I appreciate you doing that for those uh, who are listening. Um, I would, your statement about putting yourself in the other person's shoes, I think is really applicable mm -hmm. to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and that is remembering that the physician that you're talking to is a person mm -hmm. who is also aware of the time and is trying to help. And mm -hmm. one of the things I talk about in the community talk is empathy. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I'm hearing you say is to try to understand the other person's shoes as well and mm -hmm. for the clinician to do the same thing so a lot of it mm -hmm. is just trying to understand each other and have patience even when mm -hmm. the patient walks in is on their cell phone and you're trying to talk with right. them <laughs> not paying attention and you're 15 minutes mm -hmm. behind and or an hour behind and they're mm -hmm. upset because you're behind and you're trying mm -hmm. to be present in the moment and um just being uh present with each other can be a good first step is what i'm hearing you say right Or ask, because a lot of people make assumptions about... Oh, you said preguntas. Yeah. Why are you late? Or this and that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of factors why you might be a couple minutes late. Or even the patient that shows up 15 minutes after their appointment. And you're already 20, 25 minutes late because, I mean, you're not going to say no to the patient. You're going to see them and try to accommodate them. But that makes the whole schedule throws off. There's a lot of factors in medicine, but anyway, it's a complex world. <laughs> so to be patient, try to have yeah. understanding for each other, um, to ask questions, mm -hmm. don't make assumptions. Mm -hmm. Anything else? You know, keep a smile. Try <laughs> <laughs> so to be positive in the chaos. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Um, thank you for being on the program. Um, you truly are inspirational in many mm -hmm. ways um, to have come from another country, learn English, sounds like really on your own mm -hmm. in, a, in the school system and not even have it at home, to make it through multiple degrees and uh, graduate from different universities and then to go to med school and graduate from med school mm -hmm. and go through a residency program and then to be able to treat individuals from different uh, diversified backgrounds. Um, It's really quite amazing. Thank you. So I feel very honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so we want to uh, thank you for joining our podcast today. Uh, you can find us again, like us on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast, NicoleDuffenbaugh.com slash blog. We'd love to hear from you, your thoughts and comments. And of course, we invite you to join the podcast as an interviewee. If you have a story to tell about yourself, a loved one, being a caregiver, or your experiences as a clinician, we'd love to hear from you. This is Nicole Deffenbaugh with Health Stories.